It is so good to be here. It's like being home. And I will tell for those of you that at some point may be um, sent or commissioned out of this place, there will be two things that you will miss. Um, one is the love of this place. Um, we are, my, Ryan, my husband and I, Ryan and I, are forever who we are because of the pouring of, of pastors and of you guys into our life. Um, we are the parents we are today um, because of some really good premarital counseling. Um, but yeah, so that, and then two, there you can't go anywhere else and experience um, the Holy Spirit in this kind of space. So we have looked and looked at different experiences of um, places to worship, and um, we miss, we miss this, we miss you. So it's good to be home. So one of the identities I um, tried to put into my life growing up was a basketball player. I still claim to be, I'm not quite as agile and as fast, um, but I played basketball for Warner University my first two years of college, which is in Florida. It's a sister school of Anderson University. Um, So when we um, left here and moved to Northern Indiana, I thought that because I had played basketball that I should be able to coach it. And so I applied and got the position of the eighth grade basketball coach for our middle school, um, and our team was awful. so a couple of reasons. First, for the first time in history, they um, put an A and a B team together out of each grade. And I got the eight girls on the B team that had really never played basketball. And in seventh grade, they were on a team with other A players. And so they sat the bench. So they've never really played basketball. And I'd never coached. I'd played, um, but I'd never coached. And it was a growing season for us. Uh, my mother, who, you're, you know, your family likes to point out your flaws and your growing spaces. So she captured this brilliant picture of me. Um, and as a player, I wanted to be out on the court. So as a coach, I spent more time trying to be out on the court than I did coaching. Um, a lot more yelling than coaching. I, I was growing back then. So um, our team was not very good. We went into our first game and didn't win. Uh, we lost and didn't score a single basket. So in our second game, the referee literally came over to me and said, dribble, have your best player dribble into the lane. Just, just do what I'm saying. So I called timeout, bring everybody over, get, tell my best player, you get the ball, you dribble in the lane. She dribbled in the lane, they called a foul, there was nobody around her. Um, our team applauded. <laughs> she made one of those two free throws and we went down with our second game with one point on the, the scoreboard and it continued, that was our season. Um, until the very last game, the very last game, um, we had played a team that we'd only lost to by 10. So we were really excited and we'd gotten better. Um, I taught somebody how to dribble a little bit. Um, and so we go into the game and at halftime, we're down nine to seven. So that's really good for us. They had one player, so their team wasn't very good either, but they had one player that could dribble and shoot and pass. So she scored all nine of their points and was doing fantastic for their team. And so the seventh grade coach who had at least a good 15 years of coaching on me, pulled me to the side and he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to put your girls in a diamond in two, which all that really means is that I put two of my best defenders on their one girl. Literally, they just followed her around everywhere she went. So I had two defenders on them. And my other three just stood under the basket and whenever the ball would go up, they'd grab it. Um, so we're playing, we're hustling. The coach, literally, the great coach coached around me. He subbed in for me. He told who to come out. He called plays. And I'm just like lost in the heat of this game. And we won our very first and only game of the season um, because I didn't coach, the the seventh grade guy coached. And so what I learned in that is that playing basketball and coaching basketball are worlds of difference. And that only applies today because um, following Jesus and teaching somebody to follow Jesus 
drastically different. Um, and yet that is our responsibility. So in this sermon series that Pastor Kerry is taking you through, uh, Jesus is the coach. He's in the locker room before the final game, and we know it's his crucifixion. And he's telling his disciples some really, really important information because they're about to go from players, they'd done whatever he wanted, to coaches. See, Jesus knew that these 12 people and the multiples other he had discipled were gonna turn the world around and build the church. And yet he asks us the same thing, right? He says, go into all the world and make disciples. And so we have to know what it looks like to transform from following Jesus to teaching somebody else to follow Jesus. And so today we're gonna figure out what that looks like. If you have your Bibles with me, if you would open to John 14, and I would encourage you um, to bring your Bibles. So long, long time ago, history is forever remembered because people wrote things down. So they wrote them down in caves, they wrote them down in scrolls, um, fast forward to the Old Testament, and um, they built altars in moments where God spoke to them. And so this living, breathing thing that we call the Bible is your story and my story. And when we have moments like today where the Holy Spirit speaks to you, if you don't write those down, you're not going to remember it. Um, so if you have a journal, a Bible, even if you have a Bible app, find one that you can add notes in. You can highlight and add a little note in there. There are apps like that. Um, because there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to question, is God real? Or is he talking to me? Um, or am I worthy enough to hear his voice? And if you can go back to those spaces where you recorded that you are worthy, that God does speak to you and that he is real, then you won't um, second guess as much. So just bring your Bibles to church next Sunday and, and hold them up when Pastor Kerry goes to read scripture. Just see what he does. Anyway. Okay, John 14. This is a long passage. Stick with me. Uh, starting in verses 15. Jesus is speaking to his 12 in the locker room, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Let's pray. Father God, 
God the Son and God the Spirit, we acknowledge that you give us these scriptures for our edification. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit speaks, that whatever word you have for us transforms our hearts, whatever burdens we brought to you, you heal, and that we walk out of this place trusting you just a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is sitting with his disciples in the locker room doing his very best coaching. And he basically says to them, I'm giving you a task. And then I'm gonna give you somebody to help you with that task because I'm leaving you. And so to the disciples, he's saying, I want to prepare you to be coaches of the world. I wanna prepare you for the life I'm commissioning you out to send. And so he says, your very first task is to love God. The one and only thing I want you to do, your mission for life is to love God. He says in the scripture three times, so like any good coach, he repeats himself multiple times this passage. I don't know if you heard it, but he says, if you love me, lots of times. And early in his ministry, I think he says this because early in his ministry, there was a religious leader that stopped him in the middle of his teaching and the religious leader said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And we find that odd because like Moses only got 10 Ten Commandments shouldn't be that hard to remember or live out, right? Like ten things. Um, but the reason he's asking is from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus' teaching ministry, over 600 rules and regulations had been on top of that Ten Commandments. See, the religious leaders were so worried about breaking those ten laws that they created this bubble of extra laws so that they wouldn't cross over the line. Something like, and one of the commandments is, uh, obey the Sabbath, spend time the Sabbath. It's made for God, not for man. And so they decided, okay, well, on the Sabbath, you're going to eat three meals um, at the table together, but you're not allowed to cook that day. You have to make everything the day before. And you can't walk further than a mile. So those of you that have to get in your 10,000 steps, sorry, you can only get in one, one mile today. Um, you cannot work your animals. So if an animal falls in a hole, you have to leave it there till tomorrow um, because... Well, sorry, you can't work. You can't make the, the thing work to get out, and you can't work. So there were, there were just such strict rules and regulations around this. So we find it silly that he would ask this question. But no, Jesus says, rules are what you've spent your whole life living around. But what I want instead is a relationship. I want to know you. So if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me. And the only reason he's saying obey my commandments is we, we want proof of our love, right? I don't know how many of you are parents are in here or your teenagers who don't listen to your parents. Um, but how many times do they have to ask you to do something? So my five and a half, almost six-year-old, I'll be like, Aria, can you please pick up your toys? And then I'll go do something getting ready. Come back. Aria, please pick up your toys. We've got to leave in like five minutes. Put them in your room because you're not going to be in the mood to do it when I come home. I go do something else. Come back. Aria. Let's go pick up your toys. It's time. Put away the coloring stuff. And finally, come out, Aria, how many times did I tell you to pick up your toys? And now she's crying because I'm yelling and I'm mad and our relationship is, you know, it's falling apart in that moment. But I want proof of my love. I want, if she says I love you, I want her to go do, obey me, do what I asked you to do. And see, God's not that much different. He's saying, if you really love me, you will do what I'm asking you to do. I want proof. I don't know what your love language is. But if your spouse only said to you in words, I love you, but never held your hand, never told you you were great, never served you, um, never spent quality time with you, if your spouse did none of those things, you would question, do they, do they really love me? And so Jesus is just saying, I want you to love me. 
But hold up, one more thing. He says, I don't want you to love me through a bunch of rules. Yes, I'm asking you to obey my commandments, but I don't, I don't really want you to look like the Pharisees. Because from the outside, the Pharisees had done everything they were supposed to do. They had lived all of the laws. And so instead, in Matthew, Jesus says, what I want is inside of you. Matthew 23 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So these are the people, the Pharisees and scribes are the religious leaders. Um, the really, really smart, educated pastors of those days. And he says, you're hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, those tombs are full of dead people, unclean people. So even if you appear righteous to other people outwardly, I on the inside know that you're full of hypocrisy, sin, struggle. And so he says, instead, what I want from you is relationship. Jesus says, if you obey me, you will obey my commandments, but out of your love for me. You won't just do it because you want to be perfect. You'll do it because you care about me. And so Jesus says, I want obedience because your heart transformed. So instead of the scribes and the Pharisees, he went after 12 men and several women who weren't perfect. In fact, they were ordinary, unschooled men and women. And yet you're, he's the ones he picked because he knew he could transform their hearts. And so when he's talking to us, he says, I want you to love me through three ways, relationship, experiences, and information. Jesus wants more than anything to know you. He wants to know your heart. He wants to spend time with you. And he also wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he is the king, that he is the Lord Jesus, that he cares about every intimacy in your life. And when you open scripture and learn about him, you fall more and more in love with him because of what he did for you. He loved you so much that he obeyed his father and went to the cross. He took all of our sins so that we can be seen by the father as righteous and holy because of Jesus. And so he wants you to spend time with him. He wants relationship. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you, spend time with him. And out of that relationship, he's gonna ask you to do some experiences. So in the three years that his disciples spent with him, they did all kinds of cool things. They watched Jesus heal people. They watched Jesus give minorities status. They watched Jesus love on the poor and feed them. Uh, they watched Jesus heal people in relationships. Um, they watched him do cool stuff. And then he sent them out to do it himself. He gathered 72 disciples and he said, here's not much training, but go. Go do what you've seen me do. And they go out. And they're like, oh my gosh, we can heal in your name. Jesus, this is so cool. And when they come back, that's when he chooses to teach them. So information is our third piece, but it can't be our first piece because when we fill our brains with knowledge that doesn't change our heart in relationship, it's just knowledge. It doesn't get us any closer. So when they had had those experiences and time with Jesus, then he gave them enough information they needed to faithfully follow him. So Jesus is asking you one task, love me. Love me through obedience. And so we say, well, how? And he says, ah, here's my second thing. I'm going to give you one who's going to encourage you to do so, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been the uh, peace of God that has been, not neglected, but Satan's really worked his lies about the Holy Spirit. So there's all kinds of myths out there about the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God and just as much the Father is God. We got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all three in one. They're called our triune or Trinitarian God. 
And so the Holy Spirit, who was there in the beginning when creation was formed, it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the dark. The Holy, Holy Spirit's there. Holy Spirit was there when Jesus was conceived. It says the Holy Spirit went inside Mary, and that's where the Holy Spirit was um, created, or that's where Jesus went and became a baby. And the Holy Spirit was there in John the Baptist, um, when John the Baptist prepared the way. And then, of course, all throughout Jesus' ministry, we see the Holy Spirit show up. The Holy Spirit now, though, has been dispatched to dwell inside each of us. So the Holy Spirit is God, and we are blessed. Blessed that God thought enough of us that he would place himself in our hearts. And so Jesus says, but first, the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere. If you read on into the book of Acts, he says, wait, don't go anywhere until I give you the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem. So there's this coach that had this really um, important practice when he said, but first, in the locker room. So I don't know if you know who John Wooden is. John Wooden is a very famous basketball coach, um, very famous because he's won more accolades than any other coach. In fact, he's won 10 NCAA tournaments or championships when any other coach has only won four. Um, he went on an 88-game winning streak when no other coach has done more than 42 wins. And the kicker about him is he has all these accolades. Everybody looks to him as one of the most amazing coaches in history. But to this day, his team, his his students, his teammates still call him and say, coach, I'm struggling with this. Will you help me? So he has this amazing integrity about him. And do you know what he did the very first practice every season? Every season, the very first, first practice of every game is he would sit his team down in the locker room and he would explain to them how to put on their socks. Literally, he spent a whole hour. Yeah, you can laugh. I thought that was funny too. He spent an entire hour of trying to teach them how to put on their socks appropriately, what kind of socks to wear, how to roll them just right. There's videos on YouTube if you want to look where he's teaching some young kid at like 88 years old how to put on his... Anyway, um, the point is, is he said, if you don't put on your socks, you're not going to be equipped. I'm going to make you run. I'm going to make you hustle. I'm going to make you talk. You're going to be a teammate. You're going to be friends. But if you don't have the right gear, you cannot do what I've asked you to do. And so Jesus says... I'm asking you to love me and to love the world, to love the people of the world. But you cannot do that in your own flesh. If you don't first allow the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you're going to fail me. So that word Holy Spirit is actually the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos does not have a translation. So in your Bible, it might say helper, and yours, it might say advocate, and yours, it might say counselor in the exact same place. And it's because we don't, we don't really know how to describe that word. There's not an English word. So instead, what translators have done is they've, they've given um, what the, the Holy Spirit's doing the name in Scripture. So what parakletos means is one who's been called in for what? The one who's been called in. So the one that's been called in to help the one that's been called in to bring counsel. So if you're in um, a courtroom and the judge comes in, who do you want to be on your side? Well, you want the witnesses to be called in and tell your story, right? So the Holy Spirit gets called in to tell your story, to advocate for you. Um, if you're discouraged and you need somebody to be called in to give you courage, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets called in to give you, to enable you the strength you need to get through every given moment. And so Jesus tells us what the Holy Spirit's gonna be able to do. The Holy Spirit's going to be our helper in verse 26. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us. The Holy Spirit's going to bring remembrance to the things that Jesus has already said. The Holy Spirit's going to bring peace. The Holy Spirit's going to enable us not to be afraid to live out the mission that God has given us, to love God and to love others. And of course, he goes on to say that the world will not recognize him. But why? Why would the world not recognize God? 
Well, if you've had any kind of degree and any kind of specialty, you're always going to see more than those that have it. So if you're somebody who studies plants, when you look at a plant, you're going to know the structure, the food, how much sunlight it needs, how, how, what its makeup is. When I look at a plant, I just either think it's pretty or it's not. I mean, that's really it. I don't really know plants. If you're an astronomer and you look up in the sky, you're going to know exactly what stars are what and how long it takes them to circle the earth and what stars go together to make what constellations. I just look up and see a pretty star. I don't understand any of that. And so he's saying, if you follow God, you're going to know the Holy Spirit because you've spent time knowing God. Okay. Having faith is just like working towards a degree, only a little bit more real. You get to know God if you spend time with him. And the Holy Spirit's no different. And so he says, you will recognize him if you spend time with him. So the Holy Spirit is only called in when you ask. So how often are you in solitude and silence so that the Holy Spirit's voice can become louder than your own? Jesus says, I want you to love my guess is you probably struggle sometimes to love God over yourself, or you have a coworker or a family member that you really struggle to love. But when the Holy Spirit is given space to be called in, we can deny our flesh so that we can experience the Holy Spirit's love for somebody else. And there's fruit of that. So if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, first of all, you're not spending time with the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can be loud, called inside of you. And secondly, um, you need to open up your Bibles to read about what it says about the Holy Spirit. Don't believe the lies that the world tells you that Satan wants you to believe about the Holy Spirit. He's powerful. He dwells in you. He enables you to fight, to have courage, to get through hard things like sickness and death. He has that ability. And so Jesus is finishing his, his um, message to his disciples in the locker room. And he says, lastly, I'm leaving you. Sorry. Um, so here's why, though. Let me tell you why. I love you very much. And if I leave, then you can have the identity of child. If I leave and die on the cross and take all your sins, then you now have a full open relationship with the father like I do. And so you're now the daughter of the king, the son of the king. If I leave you, you can fully live because you have an identity that you can't get elsewhere. Secondly, he says, if, you, if, you, if I leave, then you can fully live like I did. So, like, Jesus died, like, literally died. His shell, his body, everything stopped working. There was no blood flow. Gone. Dead. And because he rose from the dead three days later, we also know that this shell of a life is not the end. When this shell of my body dies, I live forever in eternity with Jesus. And lastly, he says, I'm leaving so that you'll just believe. Because, you know, the disciples are still going, like, is this God? Like, he says he's the son of God, but what does that even mean? And so he dies, raises back up with holes in his um, wrists and stuff, and he, he shows up and he says, see, I'm God. And they're like, oh my gosh, we believe. And so then they believe, and then they tell everybody else, and people start believing, and now we believe today because they believe. But all that to be, Jesus says, I'm leaving you for mostly so that I can send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. Jesus could not be with every single one of us in earth. But he left so that the Holy Spirit could be in us, God himself, to enable us to get through this awful earth. And the Holy Spirit knows around that next turn, you're about to experience something hard. Your relationship in your life is about to crumble. But he says, if you will let me be called in to help you up that next hill, I will fight for you. Or if you're going down into a valley because something's really hard, you've lost a job, you've lost a loved one, you're struggling, the Holy Spirit gets called in to bring you comfort, solitude, encouragement, 
The Holy Spirit's always there speaking to you, encouraging you, but you have to spend time to recognize the voice. The voice is always there. He's in you. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you whether you recognize it or not. And so I wanna encourage you right now that if you are confused, if you're not sure what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, if there's a valley you're entering in that feels miserable and you need to trust the Holy Spirit there to get you through to the other side, now's your time to talk to him. Don't leave this place believing the lies of the enemy that you're not good enough, that you can't hear his voice or that he doesn't matter. You matter. You already have that identity of child of God. And so you just need to accept the one who's called inside of you, who wants to give you the grace and the love to push you that next step. Speak to the one who cares so intimately about you that wants to help you through that next step.